Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones, it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the best way to get customer reviews unexpected experiences when you break down on a road trip, and what we love and can't stand about moving. Reviews, repairs, and moves. Oh, my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Today's CX Press article comes to us from a good friend of mine, John Jantz, and his article, How to Use Reviews to Turn Your Clients' Local Searchers into Customers. John is an absolute pro when it comes to all things related to local marketing, but the principles that he talks about in this article are easily applied to those who market beyond the local community as well. So John opens his article by sharing some pretty impressive and important statistics from Bright Local's 2017 Local Consumer Review Survey. First, he shares that 91% of people read online reviews. Gigantic number, but I think certainly believable. He then says that 84% of people trust online reviews as much as friends that was surprising to me because I've always thought friends and family come first and then online reviews, but clearly that's moving up. And the third is that 68% of people form an opinion after reading between one and six online reviews. So what these numbers really show is that not only online reviews really matter, but they're becoming more and more important with each passing year. I couldn't agree more, Dan. I think reviews are an increasingly valuable way for prospects to learn about your offerings and for your customers to show how they feel. So it creates this kind of double-purposed experience, not only for your prospects, but for your customers. And in the article, John offers a number of suggestions for boosting your customers' review activity. He notes that first and foremost, and this is frankly why I picked this article, uh, it starts with the customer experience. A happy customer is one of your best marketing tools. And the only way you're going to get the kind of reviews you want and the kind of reviews you're looking for is by providing a stellar customer experience that leads people to say good things about you. Which leads us into the second one, which makes sense that in order to get reviews, you actually need to ask for them. It sounds very basic, but the number of businesses that don't do this is unbelievable. And Joey, you know what? I'm going right, off script yeah. here for a minute. This is true of the experience of this show, too. That's very true, Dan. You know, we not often enough have we asked our beloved and loyal listeners to please leave us positive reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this podcast because it really, really helps because people look at them to decide which podcast they're going to listen to. All right, commercial over. I'll go back. And, <laughs> and, uh, so. 
anyway, asking for reviews is something that is really uh, important. You can do it via email. You can uh, ask people after they make a purchase. And one of the best ways to do it is to make a very personal request because that is going to probably be the most resonant. Either way, you just want to be consistent in the way that you ask. Agreed. Number three in John's article, he talks about the fact that when the reviews start to roll in, you need to respond to them. Yes, indeed, all of them. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Responding to your positive reviews is great because it shows you're engaged with your customers, you're acknowledging and appreciating their feedback. Where it gets a little tricky is when you respond to their negative reviews. This is sometimes difficult to do because you're emotionally processing the negative review. But what it shows is that you're willing to take feedback and address your unhappy customers. I was talking to a friend recently about... uh, who runs a very successful business on Amazon about how to respond to negative reviews. And he said to me, Joey, when you respond to negative reviews, you're not responding to the reviewer. You're responding for everyone else who's going to read that review. And what's great is John offers a really useful list of do's and don'ts for responding to reviews, including never blame or attack the reviewer, even though I'm sure you probably want to, and never refuse to apologize. You know, if they've taken the time to write the review, the least you can do is apologize for whatever caused them to have the experience that led to their negative review. He also notes that you should always acknowledge that their message has been heard, Take responsibility for the situation, again, even if you didn't cause it. Sincerely apologize. And along the way, show empathy and validate the customer's feelings. You can even take this conversation offline or offer to connect for a call to discuss. And what John notes in the article, and I'm quoting here, At the end of the day, how you handle these situations can speak volumes about your company and its personality. Keep your tone and voice in mind to ensure a good reputation stays intact. You know, I love what you just said because, uh, I mean, I wrote a book on a very, very similar topic, which is on a customer service and social media. And everything that John says about reviews is also true really about feedback that you get in any customer service channel. It could be social, it could be on the phone, it could be email, it could be in chat. And so his, his, advice is really, really sound. And I'm not sure that I had thought about reviews and service in in that same way, but it certainly makes a ton of sense because when we do have a good or bad experience, we want to tell people about it. It might be that we want to tell people about it in an angry social media rant, or it might be that we want to tell people about it in a more formal way, which would be uh, some sort of a written review. So I think these are fantastic pieces of advice. The last thing that John says is that you should definitely use positive reviews in your marketing materials, which is totally true and which a lot of companies miss. What customers have to say about you is always, always more powerful than what you have to say about yourself. And customers are often going to use better words to describe you than, than your marketing department or your creative services department is going to come up with because it, they're more genuine and authentic because they're coming from the words of the people that use your product or service every day. Agreed. And the words they're going to come up with are the words that your customers and prospects are using when they talk about the problems they have and the situations they have and how you solve them, as opposed to the 25 cent marketing word. Uh, that somebody sitting in an office trying to imagine what customers would want to say are going to come up with. So hugely great advice from John Jantz. So the takeaways for this CX Press are actually pretty straightforward. 
it's John's four-step process. Number one, start with a stellar customer experience. If you don't have a great customer experience, you're never going to get the reviews you want. Number two, make asking for reviews a consistent habit and process. You need to have the asking for reviews be a regular part of your business operations so that not only are you teaching your employees that reviews matter, but you're getting a regular steady influx of reviews coming from your customers. Number three, reply to all of your reviews, the positive and the negative, making sure that uh, you comment on those, you acknowledge them, and, and you let people know that their voice has been heard. And number four, use customer reviews in your marketing materials. The more authentic reviews will sound a lot better than the marketing speak. And this will also encourage you to keep asking for reviews. And one bonus comment, if you are willing to leave a review for the experience of this show, that would be absolutely fantastic. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? I had the chance to go on a road trip for the last few weeks, Dan. And while on the road trip, got a little indicator light, which is the indicator light that every driver likes to see. You want to guess what it said? Um, how about the engine out one? I hate that one. Close. It, close. It was engine out with the additional message of transmission fail. Bum, bum. Oh, yeah. Just just what you're looking for. To make this even better, I was at my parents' house, which is in northwestern Iowa, a little town called Fort Dodge. And we have a Land Rover. And the closest Land Rover dealership to my parents' house is, yes, ladies and gentlemen, 100 miles away. Second closest is 150. Third closest is 200 miles away. Not that I've spent time tracking these down. Uh, so basically, I'm stranded far away from anybody that knows how to work on the Land Rover or has the parts for this particular type of service call. And I am basically stranded when I'm supposed to be on vacation. So here's what I did. I talked to my good friends at JC British, the auto repair group that I deal with in Colorado, who are absolutely fantastic. I spoke about them way back in episode 10. I called several uh, additional Land Rover dealerships nearby. Uh, I basically was trying to track down the answer. And what was crazy about this is a couple of things. Number one, the friends of mine at JC British, particularly Jeff, did their best to diagnose remotely what was going on with my car. And don't you know, they guessed it immediately based on the warning indicators and what was going on with the car. They had me check two or three things and they were able to diagnose the problem uh, remotely over the phone, which was absolutely incredible. So that when I called the dealerships to actually get the repair work done, I was able to come with a little bit more of a specific diagnosis. The problem is this was all happening over a three-day holiday weekend. Uh, the, pro the indicator light came on on a Friday morning. And so I knew I had that day pretty much to get this problem resolved or else we were going into a three-day weekend and it was going to be a long time to get things resolved. So it created a little bit of a stressful scenario. Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound fun. I mean, car trouble always stinks, especially if you, and I'm guessing you and I are a little bit similar on this. I don't know a thing about fixing cars. 
<laughs> I I actually know slightly less. Than okay, you yeah. So slightly. That's less kind of it. Kind of that's what makes it scary because uh, you know anything could be it, it could be anything, and plus you're driving around with your family, and so you know safety is of paramount importance. So you don't want to drive the thing if it could be dangerous, and and also I would say the last thing is you know it's going to be expensive when you hear first of all and and uh, folks to be very clear and maybe I'm feeling self conscious about it. This is a used Land Rover. This is a 2005 Land Rover that we have driven uh, almost 300,000 miles on. So we've gotten great, great usage out of this vehicle. But you're right. Not only is it going to be an expensive service visit, but when you hear the word transmission fail or see that on the little indicator uh, on the control panel, you know that it's going to be a big check. And that certainly was the fear that I had. And so eventually I was able to talk to the folks at the Des Moines Land Rover dealership in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, otherwise known as the Willis Auto Campus. They service lots of different vehicles. Uh, and they said they, they pulled the rabbit out of the hat. They said they would be willing if I could get the vehicle towed to look at it and check it out before the holiday weekend. So we hurriedly had it towed, dropped it off. I, I said earlier, this happened on a Friday morning. It actually happened on Thursday morning. And by the time we got it towed, it was Thursday night. So first thing Friday morning, uh, they, the vehicle has been dropped off overnight at their service facility. I get a call from a guy named Dan. What do you know? Guys named Dan. They're just Must have been people. a great guy. He was an amazing guy, right? I, I knew from the moment that he, t he shared his name, but I get a call from Dan. First thing on Friday morning, uh, basically to ask me and walk through kind of what had happened, what warning indicator lights I had seen, what had the scenario been, etc. And what was great is I had spoken to their service manager before and kind of gotten the, the appointment, although it wasn't really an appointment. They had a backlog of two weeks of service. Uh, they decided to stick me in ahead of everybody else and help wherever they could. Uh, but what is awesome is he, he got all the information. They said, great. Is there a possibility that I could keep you informed of what we find throughout the day as we're going through our diagnostic process because he knew it was going to be several hours. Could I keep you informed via text message? And I thought to myself, this is my kind of service center. This is perfect. Yeah, I would like that too. I mean, it's strange that he has to ask, right? Because it's like, well, he, 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 but be, you know, I appreciate it. It was, you know, the ask. And then, of course, followed up by the, what is your cell phone number so that we can keep in touch with you? Uh, but I love that they had this technology set up and they were going to be able to communicate with me over the course of the day because. Frankly, I had other things that I was doing that day. I had an on-site with a client and was going to be kind of tied up. And my vehicle is, you know, a hundred miles away getting worked on. And I know we're going into the holiday weekend. If we don't get an answer by 6 p.m. on Friday, we will not hear from them again until Tuesday because of the holiday weekend. Yeah. I'm just curious. Did he tell you that he would get back to you that day? So you weren't sitting there wondering if you were going to hear on Friday. He did. He did. The deal was they would get back and they would, um, he said, I will keep you posted throughout the day. And the goal was to have an answer by the end of the day. So if we needed to order parts that they would be able to order parts and get them in and we would know what our timeline was for the following week. Cause surprise, surprise, after the three day weekend, we were supposed to drive back to Colorado. And now I'm wondering if we're going to be able to make our timeline. What I will say the, so the good news, fast forwarding a little bit through this, um, 
they let me know that it was more of an air light message that had come from the console getting wet. Long story. There was water that had kind of, uh, because of a heavy thunderstorm, had made some of the circuits uh, report inaccurately what was going on. It wasn't the transmission failing. It was the connector failing. That's about where my knowledge of how the car works uh, ends. But uh, the good news is it did not require a major fix. They just took some things apart toweled up the the pooling water that was inside the control console uh, and then had everything set ready to go. But the piece that really got my attention. So remember, this was on a Friday. So I got the car back on Saturday and we were supposed to leave, as you might recall, on Tuesday. On Wednesday morning, I got a text message from Dan, again, at the Willis Auto Campus, Des Moines Land Rover dealership. And again, great guy. Great guy asking me how my drive home was and wanting to make sure I made it back to Colorado safely. Nice. And I thought to myself, now, ladies and gentlemen, that is an experience. The experience was already great. We had the great text message updates. They took great care of me. They kind of, you know, they they made the charges minimal for the diagnostic and the work that they did. But then they went above and beyond to just check in and make sure that I got home okay which was completely unexpected. So I love that. And whenever that happens to me with companies, it just says to me, this company actually cares. And it's not just that they took my money and it's not just that they did a good job repairing, but they actually care about me as a person. And that is obviously going to make me more loyal and more appreciative of that relationship. I do recall you mentioning something about this in your book, um, something about running through tape Yes. So you are correct, Dan. In my book, Never Lose a Customer Again, I talk about a maxim that I learned when I was in junior high on the track team. And our coach talked about not running to the finish line, but going beyond the finish line, running through the tape so that you keep your speed up and finish well on the other side of the finish line, which is exactly what Dan, the service technician at Willis Auto Campus, did when he texted me after the event was entirely over, after the service experience was entirely over to make sure that I got home okay. And in fact, that specific action is what triggered me to tell this whole story on this segment of the experience of this show and to recommend that anyone needing help with their car in Des Moines and not only their Land Rover, but because the Willis Auto Campus, they service a bunch of different brands, go check out the Willis Auto Campus. They will take great care of you and let them know how much you appreciate an incredible experience. So three key takeaways from this experience. Number one, uh, help even if you're not going to get the business. Uh, the folks at JC's British, my home shop here in Colorado, diagnosing the issue from over 700 miles away and taking good care of me, even though it was going to be someone else that got uh, the money for fixing the problem, uh, just reinforced my love and appreciation for them as my auto provider of choice. Number two, make room for exceptions. Include in your scheduling the ability to take care of last minute potential emergency type customers because they will love you forever uh, because you were able to help them out of a bind. And number three, don't forget to run through the tape. A personal touch after the transaction is complete, like the did you get home okay text message I received from Dan is an incredible way to end the relationship on a high note, and it leads to future business, not only from the customer, but from who they recommend and refer you to going forward. Sometimes the customer experience is amazing. 
and sometimes we just want to cry. Get ready for the roller coaster ride in this edition of I Love It! I can't stand it. Dan, my friend, I have what could be seen as some pretty big news to share. I am moving from Evergreen, Colorado to Boulder, Colorado. Wow, Joey, that sounds like a big move. I don't know where the heck Evergreen is, but it sounds great. Are you well, excited? it's about, yeah, I am excited. It's about an hour away. Uh, one could posit that we're moving from a more remote location where we regularly, in fact, as recently as three days ago, had a bear uh, come to our front door and pat on our front door, literally, uh, to a place that is in town and a little less remote and a little more community. So, yeah, it should be exciting. A new change of pace new change of look still here in colorado uh but super excited about the move okay number one i hope the segment is about the bear <laughs> regrettably no we'll have to <laughs> i'll tease that for a future segment ladies and gentlemen well uh um i'm trying to get video from we have a nest security cam that we caught it on video uh and i'm trying to export that video down so i can share it on social media but yeah it was pretty crazy about 10 o'clock at night we weren't home we were on the road uh the bear came and uh Basically, wanted to see what was inside the house. It didn't get into the house, but it was a little interesting. But instead, we are moving. And we're not moving because of the bear. Uh, but we are moving. And that means we have an opportunity for a real love-it-can't-stand-it experience here of all things dealing with moving. Let's do this. All right. Things that I love about moving. Number one, you get to purge old items. Why? Because you don't want to pay to have the movers carry them and move them to your new location. So it's a great way to get rid of old things to make room for new opportunities at the new location. Relatedly, I really like it when that moving company lets you do your quote online because then you can do a mental check of all of your possessions, helping to decide what to keep and what not to. But also it helps you understand what drives the quote and allows for a great self-service. Absolutely. Another thing that I love is the chance to refresh and restart. You know, we, we get used to our old ways of doing things when we live in a house for several years. And a new house, I think, is kind of an opportunity for those of us that work in the space of customer experience to have new experiences in that new home and to also kind of refresh our own perspectives and outlook on what experiences could be like with a new setting. Yeah, I had something similar, which was that, you know, it's fun to go to a new place and make it your own. And, you know, you obviously found a place that you liked for one reason or another, but it was someone else's place and it had their paint on the walls and it had their furniture. And so the opportunity to make something your own, I think, is a hugely positive experience and, and quite fulfilling. I couldn't agree more. Lastly, the thing that I love is the chance for new experiences. We're going to be in a new neighborhood. There will be more people and less bears. Uh, we're going to be dealing with new providers for our various utilities and services in our homes. And uh, that's always good fodder, I imagine, for future segments and episodes of the Experience This Show. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I really like, and you know, this is a little weird, but when you have the movers come and I, mean, I have some very, very heavy furniture that like, you know, certainly two of us would have a big problem moving and maybe four of us, but it would still be awkward. And these guys come in and like throw it on their back as one person and march it out of the house like like they're carrying a feathered pillow. 
I always like watching that because I I always admire the fact that different people have different skills. That is certainly not one of my skills, but the ones that are really good at what they do, it is actually impressive to watch. I couldn't agree more. Pro tip, folks, hire professional movers. Uh, once you do, you will never go back to moving yourself or getting your friends to move you and offering them you know, pizzas and beers for doing the move, that kind of thing. What about some things that we can't stand about moving, Dan? What what do you have one to kick us off? Well, you know, the last time I moved, the movers did a pretty good job, but one of the things that they lost was these metal dividers that I use in my file cabinet drawers. So my desk has these drawers that are that that serve a dual purpose as file cabinets. And it's a little thing, but it took me, no joke, six months to find the manufacturer of the desk and to figure out how to order replacements. They weren't readily available. The company said that, you know, they weren't producing them anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, we always talk about sweating the small stuff and, and the little things. But to me, when a company, when the move is missing the little things, when you show up at your new place and you don't have those little things like, heck, if you don't have these dividers, you can't actually use the file cabinet. That's immensely frustrating. Indeed. One of the things, speaking of movers, that drives me crazy about is the fact that movers are kind of catching you at a high stress, high emotion space. And we hope that they're going to do a great job and create a great experience. But when they don't, they miss the opportunity for future referrals. What I'm specifically referring to is the last moving company we did business with tried to play it a little fast and loose on the total hours on the bill. And most moving companies bill by the hour. And these guys try tried to add two hours onto their time for four movers and two trucks, thinking that I wouldn't notice. And the, the crazy thing is they did it at the house at the end of the move. They like processed out the order and they wrote down a time that was two hours later than the time we were standing at my house. And I was like, hey, why'd you write down that time? And he's like, oh, well, that's how long it looked. And I was like, by my watch, it's five o'clock, not seven o'clock at night. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. And as a result, we have a new moving company we're working with for this move. Yikes. I mean, I thought they were going to tell you it was the time to drive back to their place or something like that. But uh, that gets me to I actually don't like the fact that you pay hourly in the first place because it opens you up to people who take advantage of it or take a long lunch or you always I, I remember standing there a number of times thinking like, could they be working faster? And, you know, what if they told me 10 hours and it really takes 14 hours or whatever it is? So I think that there should be a different method that is probably based on on simply the quantity of items that you have. There are indeed different ways, uh, hourly or weight or quantity and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a challenging process. Uh, one of the things I am know we're going to experience when we move to our new home is the ability to work with new service providers. So new internet provider, cable provider, whatever it may be. Uh, and one of the things that drives me bonkers is how long it takes to get up and running on your utilities because you're in your house and you want to be able to use these things and missing the windows. So some providers saying to you, oh, we'll be there Wednesday afternoon, sometime between noon and 6 p.m. Now, I have a benefit that I work from home when I'm not on the road giving speeches. So for me to be at the house ready for folks to come is not as much of an inconvenience as it was when I worked in a more traditional office setting where I would have to take a half day off work. So I think more companies, especially on their installs, could get better about the timeframes in which they say they're going to be there for a service call or an install call. Yeah, and that time 
right after you move, before you get all that stuff installed, it's like this black period where you're not, you haven't really moved because if you can't watch TV or you can't use the phone or your air conditioning doesn't work or you can't turn on the lights, you know, it's like you haven't completed the move yet. And so it's a particularly frustrating uh, period of time where emotions are high. Uh, One other thing I would say that I've run into is um, the inability to handle uh, specialized items when you move. And, you know, everybody has the thing that they collect or the, or the, you know, something that they found along the way that, that might be an item that doesn't show up on an online list. For example, for me, it's pinball machines. I happen to um, have a few of them and really like playing them. But for you, it <laughs> I could love be- it. Pinball machines. Ladies and gentlemen, something I did not know about my good friend, Dan Gingas. Ah, well, yeah, we can talk about pinball sometime in another episode. But, you know, I know you're a collector of art, for example. And so, you know, everybody has something that's kind of specialized. And what I find is that is that company moving companies tend to not spend a lot of time on that because it doesn't fit their mold. And as we talk about on this show, it shouldn't be fitting the company's mold. It should be fitting the customer's mold. I think they could do a better job figuring out, oh, you have a giant nine foot, 7,000 pound giraffe that you'd like to move. We can do it. You know, I, I, not that you can predict everything, but I do think that there are certain categories that could be handled a little better. Agreed. I'll say the last thing that drives me crazy about moving is how some companies make it very easy to update your address to your new address and some make it almost impossible. I'm looking at you, banks, cell phone companies, magazine subscriptions, you know, anything where I'm going to have to reach out and tell them that I want it to come to a new address now, a new mailing address. Uh, this is something that I should be able to do online and do very quickly, as opposed to kind of the hoops uh, and hurdles that many folks are making me jump through just to do a simple address change. Uh, so lots of opportunities to improve the scenario on moving. Would it be great, by the way, Joey, if you had like your own API where you just had your address and everyone else had to access it from you rather than you having to tell everybody to change it? Boy, that would be fantastic. Technology companies, let's make it happen, you know, because then I wouldn't have to have this running list of trying to remember everyone I need to update the address with, credit card companies, etc. So uh, these are some of the things that Dan and I love and can't stand about moving. But what about you? Tell us what you love and can't stand about moving. Or if you have a suggestion for a love it, can't stand it episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts. How can you share those with us? Well, Come to experiencethisshow.com and look for the SpeakPipe widget on any of our episodes. You'll be able to leave a message for us that we'll get or DM us on Twitter or message us on our personal websites, dangingus.com and joeycoleman.com. We want to hear from you. We get our best suggestions for our segments from our listeners. And in the meantime, we wish you the best with any moves you might be making listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service. It's time to check out this number. Okay, Dan, the number is actually two numbers. We have two numbers for today's check out this number segment. The first one is 73%. The second one is 11%. What do you think they mean? Well, let's see here. Uh, 73 is actually the year I was born. And 11 reminds me of 7-Eleven, which reminds me of Slurpees. So I think what you're talking about is that I love Slurpees. 
Wow. We, it's, it's good that we're getting towards the end of this segment because the logic and the coherence is fading I that quickly. Was Actually, <laughs> that was impressive. It was just hard. Uh, it was, it was definitely. Did you need me to explain it again? <laughs> Uh, no, I know. I think I got it. I think I got it. Um, actually, what I was referring to is that 73% of B2B buyers use digital channels regularly in their lives, but only 11% prefer the digital buying channel, which means there's a huge demand for improving the digital experience when it comes to B2B purchasing. This comes to us from the next generation of B2B purchasing, millennials, marketplaces, and digital buying preferences, which is a new research report published by our friends at Oracle. Yeah, I mean, this makes sense because, look, people want digital solutions for every part of the customer journey. So when you say there's a huge demand for improving the digital experience, you can you can stop the sentence with a period there. It doesn't matter whether it's at purchasing or anywhere else. This is where people want to be. They want to be able to self-serve and use digital channels. So if you are a B2B company, Make sure that people can buy your product online or at least can get pretty far through the funnel. Uh, because sometimes, just like we as consumers, when we're B2C companies, we don't want to talk to somebody on the phone. We want to just do our business and take care of it in a digital way by ourselves because we know that we're competent. So I think B2Bs have a lot to learn there as well. For more great advice, uh, like the advice Dan Gingis just gave you, you're going to want to go to smartercx.com, the website run by our good friends at Oracle CX Cloud, where you'll be able to find all kinds of research, articles, etc., as well as a fast, and when I say fast, I mean two minutes fast, assessment to see how you compare against your peers in readiness for the future of customer experience. Thanks, as always, to our great friends at Oracle CX for being sponsors of the experience experience this show. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.